2 Corinthians 4, I want you to look again at this text and notice this very interesting emphasis by the Apostle Paul through his repeating of the word not. It says in verse 5, for we preach, notice this, not ourselves. The last line of verse 7 says that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Verse 8, we're troubled at every, on every side, yet not distressed, perplexed, but not in despair. And then verse 9, he says, we're cast down, but not destroyed. Now, of course, the reason why Paul is writing like this in this manner is that he's actually answering certain critics, adversaries who were in the church at Corinth that he started. Paul's not eloquent, they said. Apollos is, Paul is slow of speech. In fact, his speech is awful. His physical appearance is weak. This man's not appealing when he stands before us. Later in chapter 10, he, he knows that some of them doubt his apostleship based on those same metrics after all. Corinthians, you see, were known. They were known for their beauty and their architecture, their oratory and philosophy. I mean, Paul, have you noticed, have you not noticed all of the impressive sculptures that, that are in town, sculptures of Alexander and Aristotle and Plato all over the place? These were handsome men. These were men of renown, leaders and speakers that we could be proud of here in Corinth. And so Paul answers them. And in his answer, he basically says, you're right. You're right. I mean, folks, it's not as if Paul can defend those accusations about his speech or his looks. Most people at least have a wife or a mom who say, I think you're cute. Nobody else does. <laughs> Paul had no one in that corner. But he did have the truth so that he could honestly and happily say, you're right, not of ourselves. Not of us, not ourselves, not of us. And thus, he said, not disturbed, not distressed, not in despair, and not destroyed. And then, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he uses this very familiar illustration. Verse 7, but we have. We have, i tell you what we don't have, let me tell you what we do have. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Paul says, you know what? I agree with you people. I'm nothing to look at. I am nothing to admire. In fact, I'm just an earthen vessel. I'm just a jar of clay, a clay pot. However, I do have something, something that Aristotle and Alexander the Great and Archimedes I have something that Pericles never had. It is a treasure. It is the single greatest treasure in all of the universe, and you have it as well. Verse 7, we, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure, pastor? Verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. Wait a minute. The God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, you recognize that's the Creator. 
The God who spoke everything, all of the lights and the stars into existence. The Bible says that same God has shined inside of us. Why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. I want to speak this morning on the subject, the container and the contents. You know, folks, our society today is obsessed. It is fixated completely deceived and absorbed by the container. This world's idolatrous preoccupation with the body, their preoccupation with appearance and fashion and charisma, it's not just foolish, folks. It's not just misguided and fruitless and shallow. It's more than that. It is destructive and it's deceitful. What is not deceitful indeed, what's fruitful and glorious and joyful is focusing less on the earthen vessel and like Paul rejoicing in the treasure let's pray father please help us this morning and please help us to focus our hearts casting out all distractions and anything that would keep us Lord from hearing what the spirit says to the church thank you for your word and how we need it today please help us in Jesus name amen Three things that I want us to consider this morning in light of Paul's answer to his small-minded and very carnal critics. These are people, by the way, most of whom we don't even know their names today. They may have been Corinthians' finest and best-dressed, most successful citizens. They certainly clung to those kinds of attributes, and in every way, they hit Paul, and they hit Paul below the belt, criticizing his looks and his speech criticizing all of his troubles with the law and even his persona as he stood before them. And it's true this morning, nobody knows their names, these critics, and there's a reason for that. But we do know the names and we do know the name that really matters, and there's a reason for that. Three things in the text. The first one you'll notice concerns number one, as we mentioned, the container, which of course, as you see in verse seven, is called what? An earthen vessel. The Italians use terracotta. That comes from the Latin, which means cooked earth. The Greek word that Paul uses here is astronachos. It simply means, and it was used by the Corinthians, sort of as a, of, as a pejorative. The Athen- Athenians use it as well as a pejorative for weakness. When I was in high school, they might call you, the other guys would say that you're, a, don't be a pansy. A pansy is a little flower, and it's very delicate. And so it meant that you're weak. Corinthians would say, Don't be astronokos. Don't be a clay pot. Undoubtedly, folks, that is why, in part, Paul uses the word here. Clay pots are weak, fragile, common, and usually unsightly. I've noticed how people will take a clay pot, terracotta, and put a ribbon on it, right, to dress it up. Our ladies do that, dress it up a little bit. I think that's why we men wear neckties. What's the purpose of a necktie? It's a ribbon on a clay pot, as far as I'm concerned. There's no purpose. And, of course, you can also paint a clay pot, carve in some design. But whatever you do, it's still a clay pot. In fact, I brought one this morning several days ago, and it's hand-painted, as you can see here. Several days ago, I was months ago, actually, no, by now, weeks ago, I was in Mom's room. She was moving in, and I noticed she had this among her stuff. My mom doesn't have a lot of stuff. 
at all. So it was curious why she kept this. And I said, what is that, Mom? She said, I'm not really sure. Your great-grandmother gave it to me, and I gave it to your sister, who kept it all of these years. And so I looked at it, and I could see why she kept it, at least my sister. On the bottom, it says World War II, made in England. And there's a lion and a bulldog on a shield here. And then on the lid, the lid says, for democracy and liberty. And of course, these were made in World War II, and, and I decided, well, that's interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up. It's a clay pot. What is it? It intrigued me, and sure enough, didn't take long, this exact pot came up on Google. It's not worth much, even though it's over 80 years of age, and here's why. Before America got involved in the Second World War, we sent supply ships over to Great Britain to help in the war effort. These ships, once they were unloaded, were sent back to America, and they were empty. And so, as they were returned empty, they needed ballast. And it was Winston Churchill's idea to have these women. He commissioned the women all in the countryside of England to paint these clay pots and, and put them back on those ships as ballast, and then also to go back to the United States, and they would unload them as merchandise and as gifts, again, to help in the war effort. Many of those ships were sunk by German U-boats and hundreds, thousands of these pots at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. This one has been chipped and repainted here in a couple places. It's refined clay, as you know, called porcelain, but it's still nevertheless just common clay. It's still fragile and a reminder that the container, note this, the container is not the treasure. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever marvel at how God chose to tell the world about his redemption and salvation and his glory? What did the creator of the universe do to reveal his eternal will to mankind? Well, I can tell you that he didn't use the elite scholars in Alexandria, Egypt. He did not look at the philosophers of Athens or the powerful politicians of Rome. He did not even go down and choose the educated religious geniuses of Israel's Sanhedrin. God skipped all of that. He skipped Hippocrates and Plato and Cicero. He passed on Augustus and Philip of Macedonia. And instead, the God of creation chose out a man sitting at a tax collector's table. He went to some unlearned fishermen on the shores of Galilee. He used a poor carpenter and his young wife in Nazareth. The Lord of glory did not use royalty to spread the news of heaven. He used a man who wrote what today are called prison epistles, Ephesians, Philemon, Colossians, Philippians, and of course, the book of Revelation. All of these were given, think about it, by inspiration of God to a man who was in lockup, who was considered a, a lawbreaker, and another man who was an exile on an island. No wonder, Paul says, not ourselves. It's not of, it's not of us. We are not the cat's meow. We're just an assembly of clay pots 
And some of us are cracked pots. Amen. <laughs> cracked pot Baptist church. Someone said we're all of the same mold. Some are just moldier than others. Amen to that. But don't you see, beloved, this is the wonder. This is the wonder and the will of God. And why? Why would God be pleased to use clay pots for the single most important message the universe would ever hear? Common clay pots for His glorious and eternal kingdom. Well, in part, He tells us right here in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. In other words, God is God. And as God, he doesn't need to use people who think they're God. In Paul's first epistle to Corinth, he wrote these words. Ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh... Not many mighty, not many noble are called. Some noble and mighty, of course, the humble ones. But God hath chosen the weak things of the world, weak to the world. God hath chosen them to confound the things which are mighty. Foolish things to the world. Base things, things which are despised, hath God chosen. And then the very next verse tells us why. That no flesh should glory in His presence. You ever notice that it's in the Bible? That it's in Scripture and that it's the Creator of the universe who comes down and He notices the poorest widow. The slave girl in a faraway land. The struggling farmer. The despised Moabite. You ever seen a show on Food Network called Chopped? There was a contestant there. She said she was looking for Mr. Wright. And she said, you know, I became a chef because the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. That was unusual to hear there. And unfortunately, she got chopped. In her exit interview, she said, I'm not giving up. She's kind of crying. I'm not giving up on my dream or my man. I'm just Esther waiting for my Boaz to come. <laughs> well, Esther, Ruth might have a problem with that. Amen. I thought... <laughs> But you know what is true? Ruth was the widowed Moabitess idolater who became the great-grandmother of King David, the ancestor of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of only four women mentioned in the first chapter of the New Testament. She's a clay pot, like all of us. Can I say this to all of us here this morning? Stop. With a, well, I don't know, and I don't know if God can use me, and, and, uh, or stop trying to find so-called self-esteem. You're a clay pot of God's choosing. There's your esteem. That brings us to the second thing in the text. Number one, we said there's the container. The second thing, number two, there's the contents, what Paul calls this treasure. And again, here's the treasure. Look at verse three. But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost. Verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And then verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, wait a minute. Note this carefully. Paul identifies the treasure as God's truth, as God's salvation that Brother Bruce sang about just moments ago. The treasure was not Paul's education under Gamaliel, as admirable as that might have been. Paul's not pointing to anything within him. It's not his life experiences. It's not his wit. And the treasure this morning is not your IQ. You understand that. It is not your charm, your abilities, your ethnicity, your money, your status. All of that is as powerless as the pot itself. No, beloved, the treasure is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He that hath the Son hath life. Think of all that's involved in that word life. When I saw this pot and my mom's stuff, and I saw the World War II on it, and she said, Jimmy, you can have it. And so I took it, and, and of course, the first thing I did was open the lid, thinking maybe Lori has some diamonds and gold in there or something. I don't know. But I wanted to see what was inside. You know what was inside? A pair of great big men's socks stuffed in there. I thought, why? How long have they been there? Are they Churchill's? Are they... <laughs> King George? Ew. Kind of took them out. Mom said, I don't know why they're in there. I didn't know they were in there. She said, maybe they would keep it from breaking. I don't know. But they're in the trash now, I promise you. You see, folks, it's not our wisdom, our virtue, our abilities that sanctifies the clay pot. All of the wisdom and all the schemes and all of the talents and all of the devices of the world are just a bunch of socks. What Paul's talking about is what he declared in Colossians 1.27 when he said, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In fact, actually, that entire verse says this. Hear it carefully. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory? Christ in you? Folks, that's a treasure. In 1946, a little shepherd boy threw a rock into a desert cave. It was on the west bank of the north shore of the Dead Sea. And when he threw the rock into that cave, he heard an odd noise like the sounding sound of, of breaking pottery. And so they explored his side, and then they found some clay pots. And inside those clay pots were the first discovered fragments of what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls, some of them 2,300 years old. As far as antiquities, antiquities themselves are concerned, those scrolls today are priceless. There's no amount of money that can be placed on them. And all of those centuries, those things weren't sitting in a vault or a golden box, or a royal mausoleum. They were put into common clay pots. Today, those same discoveries are in a museum, and it's actually designed just like a clay pot, and the roof is essentially the lid of a pot. And it's a reminder, folks, that the treasure is not the pot. You're not the treasure. It's what the pot holds. 
And that is why if the pot does not perform its service as a vessel, it doesn't have value as a vessel. Not for God's kingdom. Not for God's glory. It doesn't matter how many doctor's degrees or MVPs or Oscars or Nobel Prizes that are given to the pot to put ribbons all over it. Put all the ribbons on it you want. What really makes it fulfilled is the treasure that is inside. Some years ago, there was an old antique bed. It was taken to a garbage dump out west in the course of bulldozing it into the heap. The cap of one of the head, head posts broke off. And out came, spilling out all these scores of mint gold coin from the 1800s. The bedpost was nothing. But the contents were worth a fortune. The shell of an oyster is a rough and unsightly thing. Paul says, go ahead. You're right. I don't look much. And I don't talk well, speak well. The shell of an oyster is rough and unsightly, but the pearl of greatest price is a thing of beauty and value that resides inside. And that brings us to the final thing. We said, number one, there's the container. Number two, the contents. Number three, you'll notice the confidence. Look at verse eight, would you? We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Really, Paul? You've been beaten, stoned, left for dead, imprisoned. Not cast down, not destroyed. Why not? Verse 16, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, that's the clay pot, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly tabernacle, house of this tabernacle, our clay pot, are dissolved, well... We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And God's people said, Amen. You see, folks, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Note this, not just His glory, it's also your glory. Did not Paul say that God make known that God would make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy? which God has prepared unto glory. In other words, because of what the earthen vessel holds, beloved, this clay pot, this clay pot is destined for glory. In the meantime, the treasure that you're holding, the gospel, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, The reason you're even here today, that is meant to be seen. It says again in verse 3, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. By the way, that's why Paul says, Even my trials, even the tribulations that may crack this old pot, even those only serve to let more light go out. Yesterday morning, 
I noticed my mom was mulling over this long list of something. And I said, what's that? And she said, this is my electoral ballot. Long, all these, this big long thing. And she said, I've got most of it done, most of the candidates figured out, and most of the issues, but now I'm on the judges. Came back later that afternoon, and I poked my head in the room, and she's still researching. She had her phone on Google on one hand, her pencil on the other, and she's making notes. And I said, Mom, what are you looking for? She said, I want to know what all of these judges really think and how they really feel and how they actually ruled about life in the womb. Late that night, I'm upstairs and I get a text. Going to bed, I have about four more to research tomorrow. She did this all day with her ballot. You know, folks, I don't know who those judges are. I don't know what exclusive golf clubs they all have memberships in. I don't know what high society fundraisers they attend at the Breakers or what black tie performances they get front row seats to at the Kravis Center or what political or financial ambitions those judges may have. But I know this. I'd a billion times rather be that 87-year-old clay pot who has the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus inside of her and discernment. Most people at 87 are like, eh, Gen Z, let them take care of it. I would far rather be her than all the movers and the shakers in Palm Beach County combined. In chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, you'll notice Paul uses the word confident twice. In both cases, he talks about his assurance that his clay pot is destined for glory. Destined for glory. You know, when Brother Fry was teaching this morning, I sat right there where Mike is now, and I had a flashback. My mind flashed back to about five years ago, and I took my phone in that seat and I held it up, and I recorded Brother Bruce singing. At the time, Louise was sick. We didn't know why, but she was home. And I recorded it, and I sent it to her. And she texted me back, and she said, she said, that, that man is anointed. And that song ministered to my heart. I know why it ministered to her heart, because she had a treasure in earthen vessels. And so do you. Sad hearts will gladden, all shall be bright. Goodbye forever. To earth's dark night changed in a moment like him to be oh glorious daybreak Jesus I'll see glorious yes if you have this treasure in an earthen vessel stop listening to the critics stop caring about what other people think Paul was criticized and scorned and made fun of for all of the things that the world glories in stop worrying about that Rejoice that you're a clay pot that God is pleased to use. And then surrender. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.com. 
beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.